Into sports. 20 yards out. Urs shoot. Don't oh, oh, what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! And get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Fabregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Rugby on Off The Ball With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team Team of us, everyone in Alright, we're turning our attention to rugby and the biggest transfer of the week this week did happen in rugby as once again South Africa looked to Ireland to boost their intellectual property this time the news broke that Lynn Cantwell has been named Springboks High Performance Manager Lynn, good afternoon to you, how are you? Hi guys, how are you doing? That was obviously a pretty excitement. It must have been in the works for ages, but you finally got to make it public and confirm to everybody and tell all your mates and tell your family that this was happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thankfully my family knew. But um, but yeah, no, I started working with them in January of this year. Um, but it's it's nice to have it announced. It's good for the for the girls and the profile and the, the campaign of the, the Rugby World Cup campaign and, and their campaign to have it announced. So we can build on that. So what what is the role? <clears throat> yeah, so look, a high, high promise manager of the women's game is, um, it has a strategic focus. So they're focused on trying to um, achieve at a World Cup platform in 2025 or 2029. Um, usually when you look at any pathway any sporting pathway you break it down into kind of participation and performance and participation will be obviously just trying to get as many kids and and girls and boys playing the sport as possible and not necessarily focusing on on um, results and then obviously the performance part of it is is hoping that that participation flows through to to performance so that you can focus more on on winning and competition etc so um, they're focused on on the performance piece in, in in a couple of years, but they also recognise that there's an awful lot of work to be done. And um, in general, the game hasn't massively been invested in up to this point. So they have to kind of rebuild all of those structures. So I'll be responsible for, for the results ultimately on the pitch and the campaigns, but responsible for like what frameworks that we need to build in order to try and get girls into the game and, and get them competitive experience throughout all of the age groups so that they can perform when they get to the national team. Okay, so it's not just the results ultimately of the, the senior national team, because if, if you're just doing that, then uh, everything is about results and outcome and, and scoreboard. Whereas actually, if you do have that involvement in helping to boost the participation numbers, then you can see the progress incrementally. Yeah, well, that's it. Look, I'm I'm the high performance manager, and then the the national team are, are functional at the moment, and they have a head coach and a management team. You know, and within that management team, there'll be a, <clears throat> a like a manager and an S and C coach and nutritionist, etc. So that's like a high performance setup, and they'll have a daily training environment. And my job at the moment, since I've just come in from a Rugby World Cup campaign, is just to make sure that they have everything they they can have to perform this year. But we know that that I think the the, the goal is at the end of, of of the Rugby World Cup campaign in New Zealand for them in September is that we have a a good barometer of where they're at and understand then kind of what needs to go from there. We've kind of got a good idea um, as to what needs to be put down, but like they need to compete to be able to understand where they actually are truly compared to their their competition and then we'll plan from there. How quickly do you think you, you can make a difference in something as 
intangible really as uh, the amount of people, well it's obviously not intangible because you can measure all these things, but the amount of uh, players playing having an impact on the senior team in the World Cup in four years time? Yeah, look, just, there's kind of sciences and philosophies behind this in general, isn't there? And and I suppose if there was an exact science behind it, everybody would be doing it. It's like, it definitely is complicated. Um, I think there's some basics and like, you know, women's sport in general, I suppose there's, you'll, you'll have um, high performance structures that we can compare to and then compare where women's structures are. So in, in general, this there's lots of things at a, at a baseline level that can change. You know, their, their pathway in general is, is very porous in that girls really only can compete from 16 to 18 there in, in kind of youth training centres that they have, whereas rugby isn't in, in primary schools for girls. It's, it's not in clubs for girls up to that point. And then they'll have this kind of pocket of 16 to 18. Then there's kind of a, a drop-off. There's no under-20s competition. They have a club competition, but they only play six times a year. So you, there's loads of things there at a framework level that you can change um, to try and gain girls' access to the sport, um, allow them to stay in the sport and, and not drop out of the sport. And more importantly, at a, at a kind of performance level, it's about getting representative experience. So you, you definitely want them playing at an under-18s and under-20s and understanding what that is like from a performance point of view and, and that hopefully flowing through to the to the national team. So, yeah, look, there, there's lots of, of work to be done and, and loads of different angles to be done. And that's why it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a couple of years. But... In all of the different departments, then what I'm like I'm hearing loud and clear is that everybody is really committed to trying to trying to do this, and we can learn from what South Africa do well. Like their pathway is really good. They've got seventy five thousand adult male players um, in the, in the country, and if anything, what you hear is is they don't necessarily need to be coached because there's just so much talent there that you know if you're not good enough, you just kind of get replaced. Whereas that's not the case in the women's game. Um, so we can learn lots from what South Africa are doing and then what, from a woman's point of view, there's, there's lots of other countries doing good things that we can compare to and, and learn from and, and try and kind of build a good system that's Africa-specific, I suppose. Um, the, the other countries who are doing stuff, are they doing stuff good stuff in rugby? Is it other sports as well? Can you, can you quite easily map... One of the things that strikes me at the moment about women's sport is that there's an opportunity to learn from all the, the hundred years of mistakes that have been made in men's sports and go, actually, maybe we shouldn't just do what everybody else is doing and say, because traditionally we've had this competition structure and this number of players on teams and this length of a match, there's a, there is an opportunity to rip up the rule book a little bit. Uh, this is such an important point. This is huge. Like you're right. Like embedded systems are hard to change. Whereas if not that it's necessarily has to be a blank canvas, but relatively, if if you can actually design a system specific to women's sport, I think you know we'll do a great job. Um, like men's system. Look, we know that 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 sport historically is is designed and and played by men. That's that's just the way it is. And and then we'll have kind of women's sports superimposed on top of that when we try and function. But there's there's lots of differences. There's lots of differences in in how female athletes are are um, gain access to the game. You know, so if you're if you're a a male or if you're a boy at six you walk out your door and you, you play football you play rugby there's, there's access for you there you walk out your door as a, as a six seven year eight year old girl and, and you don't and that, that experience is very very different so that system is, is completely different and then we know when we get to therefore the, the players that get to the top if you're 19 20 and if you're a girl and if you're going into a national team your experience your needs are very very different and therefore what how you're going to be service needs to be different too so if we have the opportunity to gain the insights from female sports 
people and try and design a system around that, like it's hopefully going to be more effective in producing the talent um, that we want to do. So yeah, look, I, I think there's lots to be learned from the from from that and there's an opportunity there to, to build something that doesn't have to deconstruct something to rebuild something else. But to your point about um, other sports, yes, like South African hockey is very successful at netball and a lot of South Africans can 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 move abroad to compete and that's obviously what the Springboks model is and that's that's in line with 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 economy and and, and finances down there but that's uh, something that they do and they're because I suppose of of their economic um landscape they rely heavily on on sponsorship so that's another reason you see that when 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 sponsors are very connected to the games then often those games drive and that's where the hockeys and the netballs came from but but other countries that are doing good things from a woman's rugby point of view is uh, like England obviously got a, a huge structure but uh, like Fiji specifically have a have a good structure in place and 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 ironically that's completely pure integration is that the men's coaches coach the women and the women's coaches coach the men and there is that kind of celebration of, of Fiji rugby and what they do and it's kind of specific to them and um, so there's lots of different systems that that we can look at and, and learn from but it has to obviously be South African specific in line with the, the girls that are on the program are are, are are unique from the backgrounds that they're coming from and as a result the system that we we design has to has to speak to them, has to create a safe environment for them to play, because that's not necessarily um, something that, that we have as such yet. And uh, well coached as well to make sure that what they're learning all the way through their their pipeline is is um, good rugby so that they can get to have a, a good rugby IQ um, as quick as possible to be able to perform when they get to the national team. Okay, so like it's it's obviously complicated, <laughs> like a lot of different spinning plates. Yeah, no, but it, it it's and it is like, that's the thing. Like we you know, obviously the twenty by twenty campaign has happened, and like a, on broad brushstroke terms, the the aims are are really important. But then when you start to drill down into it, it's not just a straightforward. Let's just do the same thing that we've been doing for the boys and the lads forever. It's actually let's think about what would serve women best as they move through the age grades and for participation because ultimately the participation is the thing that, that I think solves everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, there's there's some lots of things and if you actually really explore that topic of of the system not, like there's lots of stuff in women's sports that are the exact same as men's sports. You know, you, you play a game, to your point, like 80 minutes, maybe it's completely right that you play 80 minutes compared to, to women. All of those things are completely the same, but but there are differences. If you look to the WNBA over in America, if you look to them, and I'm not saying that you change the size of every ball for a women's sports, but they change the size of their ball and their performance just just hit hit the roof and completely took off. And that's kind of what we're, we're seeing at the moment. So if there's differences in the women's game and how it's played, um, not necessarily tactically, but you know we see it tactically. So the women's game is different tactically and strategically because of their strengths, their weaknesses, and that's okay. And that's what we want to celebrate. So if there's differences from a structural point of view that we need to explore because of um, of women athletes and and women women's games compared to men's, then yeah, we should we should understand them and and then design it and hopefully get get more out the other side. How are we doing at that? Do you think? Um because look, obviously, I, I know that you're involved with Sport Ireland, uh, and specifically around the the area of women in sport. How are we doing? What what's our progress like at the moment in Ireland? 
Yeah, look, I, I think it's good. Just just simple things. And it's things we probably just don't understand, like a maternity policy that is specific to female athletes. And if you put in a maternity policy for your elite athletes, it allows females to be females. And, you know, if, if a female athlete were to get pregnant, then they're supported to come back. And that's what Sport Ireland have done. So there's just simple examples like that. There are just more females specific. And, you know, just, just females develop and their, their kind of emotional needs are, are, are different at different ages exactly so if you understand that from a coaching point of view you're obviously going to understand your athletes more and hopefully give them a better experience make them want to stay in the sport and and not want to want to drop out like there's just loads of examples like that that are just more female specific and if we just understand them and the information is there and if we just capture them and and apply them to sport then i think um yeah we'll just be more effective at what we do and are we getting better? Like, are there are there metrics that we can measure ourselves against? Kind of three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Yeah, well, yeah like, well, I, I from a woman's sport point of view, um, there's there are there are if you're if you're looking at the Olympic sports, I think this is the most gender balanced Olympic team that's going to the Olympics full stop, and and the the Irish team, Irish Olympic team full stop. So that like that's a metric. I know the other metrics that we're talking about are obviously visibility, etc. Like they're all yes measurable, and and I know that's that's quite slow to change. And the other things that we're talking about is is female coaches through the pipeline, female referees, like they're all measurable, and we are seeing changes in that. And obviously the board balance work that that we have done with Sport Ireland as well, they're all kind of measurable things. Um, that yeah that are that are showing signs of change but um like it's a it's a big tapestry and it's kind of a lot of it's kind of subliminal as well isn't it so it's um so it's some of it's hard to measure but i think there's lots of good progress to be honest in the space um can i like what was your gig before you got this gig because it's, it's obviously such a very specific um and yet like massive tapestry as you've talked about uh when you're getting into how did you train to become to be ready for this because it's creating a new high-performance culture in a, a country that obviously understands high-performance in that sport, but that has those peculiar challenges we've been talking about. Yeah, like I am, um, so I'm a sports scientist as a physio. That was kind of my pathway. And um, from a playing point of view, obviously, from a performance point of view, I, I was um, in, in sport and in, in rugby for so long at, at a high-performance level. At a professional level, then I transitioned into like a performance lead role within within the medical sector. So I was working in, in the performance um, sphere within within business and then transfer and that to, to sport now professionally. And then at a, at a board level, I suppose, understanding kind of the the challenges and the landscape of women's sport is helpful to be able to undertake the role um, and the biggest focus at the moment is at a at a decision making level and a, and a board level so i think my work with sport ireland and the high performance committee there and the women in sport committee has been able to serve me well as to you know what are we trying to what what is the gold standard governance structure that allows uh, any sport to be governed well at the top and um, if you're represented if you're represented well at the top then obviously all the, the females and, and the males that are um, that that flow through to that system are, are going to be um, be governed well so that's that's kind of my experience to allow me to get it right yeah and like again that's that's the the perfect marriage of what it is that you're going to end up doing for the next however long this is going to be um, and and I, I'm just interested in that because that that career path is obviously uh, it's it's new 
there isn't, you know, you, when you were finishing up playing for Ireland after the World Cup, yeah. you couldn't have said, well, okay, I'm going to go off and I want to be a high performance director of uh, women's rugby in South Africa. So that's the other aspect of this that I think where there are women listening to this tonight to go and actually, you know what, I can work full time in sport. The pathway isn't straight. Like yeah. for a lot of for a lot of men, it's like, uh, you know, be someone's son or uh, play well on a team and the old boys network kicks in. That hasn't happened and, and won't happen for women for ages. Yeah, look, that that's a really good call. Um, look, we we know that women's sport is on a trajectory towards professionalism, um, and a part of that will be that there's professional jobs within the sports, and the sports that are making strides in it, those professional jobs do become available, um, but often they go to men in line with the fact that the, that's where their experience lies and there, there isn't women with that experience to be able to take on those positions. And I suppose what we're seeing more of now is women with that experience to take on those positions and they're actually getting those jobs and therefore representing the sport that that they're trying to do. Um, so that's really great and like I feel very proud to be doing that. We know like from a visibility point of view, 20 by 20 is that if, if, if you see head coaches that are women, you'll say, well, I can be a head coach. And then if you see a performance director or a high performance manager that's a woman, then hopefully you'll be able to say, well, I want to do that. Um, but from a high performance point of view, I think in Ireland in, in general, Irish high performance sport is, is starting to go in that direction. There's lots of sports that have performance directors or high performance managers, for example. And there's as the high performance culture within Ireland grows, there's more and more of those professional positions that are becoming available. So what you'd hope to see is in any sport that's that's a high performance environment or an Olympic pathway, for example, you will have high performance managers or performance directors or, or general managers. And from a woman's point of view, not that it has to be a woman for a woman's sport, but it's great to see that there's professional job opportunities now in the women's game that are being taken up by women with with the experience and insight that's necessary to do a good job. Well, so if, if, we're, if we're on the right path, what, would, what do we need to do to accelerate this process more to get to a point where there are more women in senior roles and there are more women playing all the sports that we need, to, we need them to? Well, <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So look, the, the pathways piece is, is huge and, and that's why lots of sports now are investing in so if, if we look at women in leadership, for example, we'd, we would look at, at board membership, we'd look at, at head coaches and we'd look at senior management. So if you look at the what what is the pathway that is necessary to be put in place in order for more women to be in those positions. And we have in in, um, in Ireland, we're, we're trying to create a, a, a high performance female coach pathway to try and, because if you look at like Lisa Fallon, Hayley Harrison, so there's a couple of, high performance female coaches out there, but there's not many of them. And if you ask them their story of how they get there, it's very convoluted and it's like not necessarily supported. I know the coaching um, pathway, it's quite tough anyway, but that's something that, that we're trying to improve on. The board, the board um, pathway to, to board membership is obviously another one that's, that's very littered with, with problems and um, blockers, et cetera, but we know our way through. And that's more about trying to give women the confidence to go forward for these board positions and ensuring that the boards are welcome for women as well. Um, and recognizing that boards are supposed to reflect society. They're not supposed to just reflect the people that are in that sport. So if you have a 
good gender balance on your board that was a reflection of good governance and if you've got a good governed board then you'd expect the sport to be to be governed well too so that was that's a similar pathway and then from a from a management position like i suppose my role would be would be seen as something like that and how do we how do we gain how do we allow girls to know that they can go for those positions and that would be reflected in the culture of of the unions of the sports and just allowing people to apply for those positions and and having a viable um, chance to actually get them when they're there the other part of your question was obviously how do we get more girls involved in sport which is which is huge but um hopefully i've kind of started that with the pathway piece no totally and like so we we obviously uh, a couple of weeks back did this um week-long feature where we just talked to anybody and everybody we possibly could basically on the back of what they were doing in New Zealand where they got all the sports to come out and say the most important thing for teenagers in particular is that they have fun when they play sport. It seems super obvious, but uh, obviously a lot of coaches, um, they want to be the next Jose Mourinho, they want to be the next Joe Schmidt, they want to be whatever it is, whatever their, their chosen sport is, and they, they drain the fun away from the kids and the participation disappears and then all of a sudden we wonder why our teenagers are not participating in sport and there's no adults and the, the actual sports themselves begin to not have people who can take those administrative roles because obviously if you've fewer and fewer people participating in it. So I just was really interested to get your take on all that because ultimately if we don't have a national conversation about this all the time, then the figures slip and it's great to have the policies in place but unless you actually have the grassroots support for fun being at the centre of everything, then I, you know you'd be very concerned about the future. Yeah, and well, look, that's that's definitely a global question, and I, I suppose at the start it'll be about surviving and, and and coping and and recovering from COVID. You know, because the the concern is that um, a lot of boys and girls have have not played football for a year and a half, and um, you know will transition to another sport or, or stay out of sport or stay quit gaming or something so there's a huge problem from a covid point of view and um, but then otherwise look like i've i've I kind of affirm it's a romantic enough philosophy just around sport in in the the need for fun we know kids want to have fun and, and if you ask a kid like what's their favorite part of a of a training session it's the you know it's the sausage roll at the end of the day kind of thing so look I, I think coaching has a huge part to play in in kids experience of sport and I think if we enjoy something we stay at it if we stay at it we get better at it and if we get better at it then we start to perform so the, kind of that's my philosophy in it I do think in, in Ireland that we've got a, a big part to play in in the, the capital is you know what what are the facilities that we that our, our kids have access to and, and are they fun um, are they accessible all weather look we've got a, a wet country our, our capital around our, our facilities is really important if you have a you know a great 4g pitch or, or a or a facility whereby you've got kids having access to exercise and, and sports that's coached well so it's fun but it's enjoyable and they're not mucky and wet at the end of of, of the night as well and there's some some there's some girls specific insights there as well we know an awful lot more about what motivates teenagers and and the, the reasons why they drop out and the barriers etc and a lot of it's got to do with their friendship group and and the the atmosphere created <clears throat> in training 
we also know a lot of girls, and this is actually comes back to their system thing we spoke about. Look, we probably take for granted that when we you know when a seven or a ten or a thirteen year old boy goes to a team that they can play in the first team, the second team, and if they're not competitive as as a as a kid, but they're they like to play sport, there is a second team, a third team for them there, or even as an adult. Whereas we don't have that for girls, we'd only have the one team. So if you're a girl that wants to play camogie but doesn't really like it from the, from a competition point of view, but just wants to play, there's and doesn't want to be competitive, just wants to be there with her friends. There isn't a second team for her, so that's really really significant, and that's that speaks to the structures piece. So look, there's there's lots in there, kind of from a basics point point of view, <coughs> and obviously. Competition is a, is a key piece as well. Kids want to play. They don't want to be sitting on the bench. Um, but yeah, look, I know that's a, a big conversation, but hopefully that just touched on a few points. Are we good at it? Are we getting better at it in Ireland? Are, we, are, you, are you confident and, and optimistic about our future when it comes to that stuff? Yeah, look, I think there's lots of sports doing great work. Look, the Gaelic Games is just enriched, obviously, with the opportunities that they give kids <clears throat> and the, um, the competition opportunities. I think athletics is doing is doing great work. Rowing is doing great work as well. There's lots of sports that, <coughs> and we have an awful lot more knowledge as to what's what's necessary. But yeah, look, there's 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 an awful lot more work to be done. But I think what you'd hope to see and encourage is <coughs> sports talking to each other, to learn from each other, and to to see the bad bits and obviously try and help to improve. But um, yeah, look, it'll take time. But there is a lot of good work being done. Okay, that collaboration piece, I think, is probably the, the silver bullet that will fix everything. But sure, um, asking all those sports to work together is, uh, you know, it's, it's a family feud that we would need to settle. One last question for you. You famously were a centre. Um, can Ross Byrne move easily from 10 to 12 to make room for his little brother tonight, do you think? Yeah, of course. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd hope. I think he can. Um, I think I see this whole phase as just experimental and um, I think it's the right time to do it. So, so yeah, look, let's do it. He'll be, he'll be fine and, and plenty of mistakes will be made, etc. But I think it's the time to do it and the, the time and the cycle to do it. Well, listen, Lynn, I, I hope you have an amazing time in South Africa whenever you actually get the opportunity to go down there and I hope your barbecuing skills are uh, being perfected. Uh, best of luck with it and congratulations to a fantastic opportunity. Cheers. Thank you. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. 